Warriors. What is up? Halloween is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. That's your song. That's your song. No, it's not. It's my song for today. It is not my song moving forward, but thank you. How are you, Van? Uh, I'm great. Uh, where are you right now? I'm in Dallas. Oh, so, oh. I'm in Dallas. And- oh, you went back home to Dallas. Um, I'll tell you Don't. something, Rachel. What? Don't. What are you about Don't to what? say? What are you about to what? say? Oh, I was about to say that uh, while you were gone, we looked at a house right around the corner from you. No, I wasn't gone. I was still at my house when you were doing this. Okay, I well, know. I told her, I told her to and I, and I, And she did. She was like, Van asked. I said, Kalika, I'm still here. And she said, I thought you were going to Dallas. I said, I'm the idiot that booked it during the game tonight, the the flight, but I don't leave till later tonight. And she was like, oh yeah, Van sure did ask. I know exactly where the house is because I walk the dog's I've seen it being built from the ground up. I was right. so excited. I said, oh my gosh, potlucks, game night, game nights, pool parties. We're going to have so much fun together. I need you to make house. this happen. I need you to make this happen. I love it. I love that house. We're going to buy I that love house. it too. I love it we're too. Gonna, we're going to buy that house. Right I almost neighbors. thought about looking at it. I almost thought about looking at it. <laughs> oh, I was really? like, Rachel, you live down the street. <laughs> it's a beautiful home. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad. It's such, a, it's such a great neighborhood. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm you manifesting like the this for y'all. You like the I neighborhood? Re- I really do. And you will too. It's a good walking neighborhood. What kind of neighbor are you? Um, An isolated one. Interesting. So you don't <laughs> hang out with the peeps? I know my neighbors on both sides and the one across the street from me. But they don't really hang out. And the reason I know the one on the other side of me is because they're doing construction. So she's been talking to me about the construction. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm not like, you know, nobody came over and delivered like a, a cake or something when we moved in. Because yeah. I know why. Why? Negroes. There goes the neighborhood. We're going to take over. <laughs> you know <laughs> what? There aren't that many. I know, I know where the one other house is that has. <laughs> I've seen it. But come on. Come on. Let's take over. Let's go. So I remember one time, uh, I can't remember who told this story, but um, Nat King Cole apparently moved to Hancock Park or to Beverly Hills. And when Nat King Cole moved there, he went around to all of his neighbors <laughs> and was like, hey, I'm moving in and blah, 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 and all of that stuff. And I was in LA. I was working for someone I can't remember. And they were telling that story. They were telling the story of Nat King Cole going around and what a nice man. You know, he knew that times were hard. It, there was racial animus. And so he didn't want to startle any of his neighbors by being in the neighborhood. So he went around to all of his neighbors and said, Hi, I'm Nat King Cole. I'm moving in. And I remember he told this story as if to praise Nat King Cole for doing this. Yeah. As if it was a, and I remember thinking to myself just then, like, we never going to be free. <laughs> well, does it make you feel better that I'm isolated and I absolutely did not do that? They're going to see yep. me when I walk around this neighborhood, as yep. I do multiple times a day. Um, it just dawned on me that you thought that I was about to start the ribbing about 
Texas football this 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 uh this weekend. Are you about to start now? No. And let me tell you why. Go ahead. I keep I keep trying to tell you that nobody cares, but you won't believe me. That's so not true. I keep nobody cares about what? I that okay, so just to let you guys know, LSU lost last weekend to Mississippi State, not Mississippi State, to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I get after the LSU victory is a text from Rachel. It's like, hi, LSU, (laughs) ha, 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 ha. Texas loses to Oklahoma. There's going to be no text. This is what happens. The Cowboys get blown out. Is there going to be a ha, ha, ha? No, this is normal. This is what happens. This is like, this is what happens to the Cowboys. This is what happens to Texas. This I keep is not trying to true. tell you. This we is literally what won. We won last time 49 to 0. It's not just what happens. It's no. been back and forth for years. I'm talking that- about failure. I'm talking about okay. failure. That's failure. <laughs> this is what happens. No. Texas has won one national championship since no. 1970. I'm telling this is what happens. No. This is how it happens. It's not that big a deal. Hey, LSU, whatever, whatever, you are all into it. Because you're used to seeing dominant teams in Baton Rouge. Like, in, in oh, Texas, no, that's this, not is, true. this is what happens, man. That's what it's, happens. That's absolutely not true. Now, I will say about the Cowboys, I have to eat it. Because you specifically had asked me before, what about the Cowboys against the 49ers? And I was like, oh, they got them. Now, I could make excuses. I could talk about the fact that we've lost several key players. And specifically in that game alone on defense, um, you know, on the O-line, we've had, we've had big injuries. I could make these excuses, but I, I really can't. We looked terrible. <laughs> we looked terrible last mm-hmm. night. There's really, there's, I was watching the game on the play and there's really nothing I can say in defense of it all. I mean, fumbles, wide receivers not getting open, you know, like there was like breakdowns with the O-line. We couldn't get the run game off. I mean, there's just so many, everything was going wrong for us. And of course, the natural thing to do is to blame Dak. Mm. <laughs> That's what Cowboys fans do. Do they not? The natural yeah. thing is to say, we got it. We got to switch it up. Where's Trey he Lance? Threw, he threw, he threw three. He yeah. threw three interceptions. <laughs> I, I want to say something real quick. The story of Nat King Cole buying his house in Hancock Park is actually a pretty awesome story. The guy who told this story to me back in the day left out a lot of key details. I'm glad you're correcting it. Oh, I'm not correcting. That's what he told me. But, no, but I but, mean, like, factually, like, the, apparently there's more to the story. Oh, absolutely. There was there was a whole fight. You could almost do a movie on this. There was a whole fight for, for Nat King Cole to get into Hancock Park. And I think him doing what he did was the result of a huge back and forth that had gone on for a long time. Uh, he tried to move into the house in 1948, and he was greeted with a he was greeted with a sign that somebody placed in your yard that read "Nigger Heaven." Pull it together. Pull it together. Hold tight. Tighten up. Tighten up. It's fucked up. It's just racism. It's just. To me, it's it's sometimes it's it's just fucked up how first of all, it's fucked up that for whatever reason that that's like 
That's just so racist. It's funny. I'm sorry. That's just so fucked up that it's funny. But it got worse. A year later, somebody shot into Nat King Cole's window. But uh, Nat King Cole rem- remained undaunted. He, he was trying to ingratiate himself into the, the, to <laughs> the, to the... It's actually interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I was like, first of all, it's not even true. I'm saying that on the podcast. It's not even true. And then I looked it up and there's a whole article here about Nat and how he integrated Hancock Park, which is a really, really nice neighborhood here um, in the middle of L.A. And uh, it's very nice, very beautiful. And Nat King Cole was the one. And this guy said that Nat King Cole went around apologizing to everybody for moving in, but that's really not what happened. You know, he dealt with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of racism here in Hancock Park. Damn. Damn. You got to wonder, like, why would you? I, I know why you want to live there, but why also, why would you want? I'm asking it a different way. Like, why would you want to live in a neighborhood where you know you're going to be terrorized and not welcome when you could live somewhere else in peace and have a community? Is it worth it? Like, where else could he live? Got to think about the times. I don't know. I don't know what L.A. was like. I don't know L.A. then. Baldwin Hills? I don't know. He could have built, built hey, something. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. That's what I'm saying. But you don't. But saying that he could have moved somewhere else assumes that there was somewhere else that he could have moved that had built, nice built. homes. Built where? See, this is I what I don't like. But you don't know what he could have done. But is that the only nice neighborhood or he could have started a built a nice neighborhood? I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm just asking the question of is it worth it to live in <laughs> nigger heaven. <laughs> nigger heaven. But look, what I'm saying is that is it worth it to, to go mean, through all that? That's just a first question. Of all, a lot of the traditionally black neighborhoods that were in LA, I wonder that are in LA now, I wonder if they were traditionally black at this time. You know, we're talking about what year is this? This is 19, it's like 80 years ago. So it's 70 some odd years ago. It's 1948. You know what I mean? So who knows? It's like for Nat King Cole. Now you're saying, why didn't Nat King Cole move to Ladera, View Park, or places like that? But who knows what those neighborhoods were? Or he could have started one. Or he could have started one. I don't know. I'm just saying, is it worth it? Started to started his own I'm just, I'm just saying, is it worth it? it? It makes me think, Was it? Is it worth it to subject yourself to this, to have a nice home in a nice neighborhood? It's just a question. I'm sure somebody's thinking it. So let me ask I'm you not this. Knock, I'm not knocking him for doing it. It just makes me think of that side of it as well. Look, I get what you're saying. Um, and I wonder where the black neighborhoods in L.A. were at that time. Well, somebody know? had to start them. Okay, let's see. Historically black neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Let's look at them right now. This is a fun little tangent we're on right now. Um, let's see. Black-owned businesses are popping up all over the place. Don't send me no goddamn ads. View Park, Windsor Hills. So that's in the 1930s. Boom. There you go. 86% of the community. Best known. Oh, look. And other people live there. Nat. All right. Ray Charles lived there. Tina Turner lived there. Meghan Markle lived there. So it was. See, you tried to dog me that there were. Where could he have lived? Bam. Right there. Right there. Gramercy Park. Now, we just now know that you just said, you know, Nat King Cole's a sellout. Um, (laughs) Is is Gramercy Park. 86% of the community, Jesse Owens Community Regional Park, is found in this area. 
All right, we'll let you guys know something now. Um, if you're going to go to Jesse Owens Park now, you might want to contact somebody and check in because uh, you get your ass fucked up over there. Um, Lamert Park, of course, is black ever since the 20s. If you go there now, you might not see as many black people as people jogging around and pushing their babies and stuff, but it's still a black place, but it's things are changing. That's all I'm saying. It's South Baldwin LA. Yeah. Not South uh, Central anymore. Um, Ladera Heights, all of these places. So it's the 1940s. Frank Ocean lived there. Tyler created Vanessa Williams. Lisa Leslie is one of the most expensive neighborhoods in L.A. Ladera Heights is a top choice for well-to-do families. So I guess what you're saying is the age-old argument um, about why we would choose to live in a place like Hancock Park or Beverly Hills where there are neighborhoods like this where Ray Charles lived. Uh, where you could, like, hang out. Yeah. I'm not... I get the desire to... I mean, Hancock Park is a beautiful neighborhood. I get the desire, but if it means that you're going to... When you put your head at night... When you lay your head on the pillow at night and you don't know if you're going to be subjected to some kind of attack or some type, uh, you know, racism or you feel uncomfortable or, like, is it worth it? And it sounds like from what you were all the things that he went through, it wasn't to me. It wasn't. And I mean, but 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 I will say this. If I was going to make the move to move to Hancock Park, I also would not let them run me out of it. So if once I've committed to being a part of this, then I'm going to see it through. And maybe that was his thought as well. I wouldn't let them run me out of the neighborhood and say that they won. You don't want to be ran out of the neighborhood in Hancock Park. You're going to fight. So do you think that the people that integrated schools and buses, well, not buses, but schools, do you think they should have just gone to HBCUs or stayed at their high school? I'm asking. It's an interesting conversation. I'm asking. No. I, 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 I don't see it the same way, right? Because it was separate. It was supposed to be separate but equal, but it wasn't equal. And I and I, it feels like in these neighborhoods that they were just black, but that they did have nice homes and beautiful communities. Certainly, yeah. And when it comes to the schooling, it wasn't equal. And so, so you say that the HBCUs weren't. No, as up to you're snow. talking about integrating schools. I'm not talking about HBCUs. I'm talking about like like li, like um uh little Ruby. You know, like I'm talking about integration like that. Not, but but it also happened HBCU. in colleges as well. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. I was thinking of. I'm not saying okay. HBCUs are less than. I mean, they don't have the same endowment. We've had that conversation multiple times here. But I, I'm specifically talking about elementary schools, junior high, high school, when that integration was going. It was not equal. So I wasn't. I'm not against that. I don't see it as the same way. Are you anti-integration, like myself? No, I'm not anti-integration. I'm, I'm not anti-integration. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm in not an integrated anti- relationship. Oh my God, Jesus, Daddy! Oh, uh, did you see that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rachel got a. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna change. We're gonna change your season of uh, the Bachelorette from the Bachelorette to. Rachel got a zaddy. Why? That's what it's going to be called. (laughs) Rachel got a zaddy. Everyone out there. No. It's not The Bachelorette. Which season was it again? 12? 13. 13. It's not The Bachelorette anymore. The name of that show is now Rachel got a zaddy. 
That's the name of the show. Great, man. You still haven't finished it. No, nah, I haven't. Man. I had food poisoning. That was last poisoning. week. Oh, have you food. eaten? What was the first meal that you ate? Since you, it took you two days to eat a meal, what did you finally settle on? So I boxed Saturday morning. And I Ooh, still had an empty eaten, stomach? Oh, whoa. Very hard. Very yeah. tough. What did I eat when I came home? Oh, I had two boiled eggs. Whoa. Riveting. Yep. I didn't, I didn't know what I could handle. You've probably lost 15 pounds. Nine. Wow. Nine pounds. Okay. Well, get, I hope you're feeling better and eating. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I'm not anti-integration. I just think, you know. You are. Some of our communities were, weren't helped by it. Uh, I learned a lot from my integration stance, from some of the thought warriors out there, some other people that I talked to in terms of what it means to have a shared society and all of that. But I think the core of my beliefs have to do with Black self-sufficiency and in a lot of ways, Black nationalism. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's what you wanted Nat King Cole to have. <laughs> so crazy. Unforgettable here in nigger heaven. Inseparable. Is it inseparable? Oh, wait, that's Natalie. Never that's mind. why, darling, <laughs> it's incredible up here in nigger heavenable. <laughs> nigger heaven. What if that nigga Nat King Cole would have just cracked? <laughs> Think about it. What if that nigga Nat King Cole, think about how different history would be. Think about it, that, if that nigga Nat King Cole came home, right? And he saw the nigga heaven thing on his, uh, on his, his, in the front yard. What if he just cracked? Just went in there and I just got what? the, just went in there and just got the yammer and started shooting in the sky. Come out here! Come at me! <laughs> Come at me! <laughs> if the Black Panthers were started by Nat King Cole. <laughs> Sounds um, like a script. Sounds like sounds a script. Because like <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I would like to do. Like, what if the one moment... I watched this movie, The Adjustment Bureau. You ever seen it before? With Ben Affleck. It's Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. I haven't seen it. I don't think I thought I had it. If it was Ben Affleck, I thought I saw it. Right. Yeah. Um, Anthony Mackie's in that, too. Uh, and in the adjustment bureau, it's like this one thing where one thing goes wrong and it changes everything. Okay, right? like like a butterfly effect? Kind of, right? It's like in the movie, he um the adjustment bureau is responsible for making sure things happen the way they happen. And in the movie, Matt Damon is supposed to spill coffee on his shirt. When he spills coffee on his shirt, then that would mean that he would miss his bus and he would never see Emily Blunt's character. Yes, again. I have seen it. I was going to say, is she in it? Yes. Yeah. And then things wouldn't go the way that they went because they had met in the bathroom before and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And I always wondered about just changing, tweaking one thing. Tweak. Sure. Think about it all the time. If you watch The Sword and the Shield, if you read The Sword and the Shield, Dr. King was in love with the white lady when he was in seminary school. Yes, yes, yes. What if he marries her? How do things change? Why would they change? Oh, they would change. Perception of him? Or do you think that his beliefs would change? First of all. Because I don't. 
So you're saying I, he couldn't fight and he couldn't fight the good fight? He couldn't it's not fight in the, be the same, same way? Man. It's not think about that now. And then think about then it's not gonna be the same. If it Dr. Would be King, perce- it wouldn't be perceived the same. That's what, no. that's my point. He's not going to be as significant or successful if he marries the white lady. Because if Dr. That's King how- marries the white lady, he's not gonna be as significant or successful. And by the way, if you read the book, it'll tell you that a lot of people were telling him, yo. Oh. If I got to that part in the you, book. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be who you said you want to be, you can't be with her. It would have been a totally different situation. I think. Of course. And, and and I think both can be true. Sure, he would he could have been had the same beliefs and he could have been saying the same thing, but the problem is it would not have been perceived the same way. It wouldn't have landed the same way. Because people would have been like, Well, what about that white woman on your arm? What's going he could, on here, Rachel? Yeah, I'm projecting. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel got a zaddy. No, for example, I posted um, our our last conversation um, where we weren't talking about gender wars, but we were. I posted it on TikTok and I was like, we can't help ourselves. We can't get away from the gender wars. And TikTok loves that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the comments are, we'll just scroll down. This is rich coming from her. She has a white man. She's got a white man. So yeah, I'm projecting. No, but it, that doesn't mean, of course, he could have still had the same views. But, I, yeah, but you're so right. I, you're right, though. It would not have landed have the same. same. Absolutely, it wouldn't have landed the same. If Dr. King would have married the white lady, would we have gotten the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act? We have gotten all of that stuff. I think, I think you would have. I think you would have still gotten the Civil Rights Act. I'm not, I, I, I can't say that that wouldn't have happened. Or, and the Voting Rights Act. I just well, don't I mean, think was, we would talk was, about him in the same way that we would now as black the, people. That's what the, would happen. The, uh, I think a tangential question to this is if you remove Martin Luther King Jr. from history, how much of this stuff still gets done in the way and in the time that it got done with him being around to fight for it? Does it happen later? Does it happen? I mean, he's a genius and he is singularly uh, qualified to lead that movement. But there were others. That's what I was going to say. He had a team. So in my imagination, somebody would have stepped up. Like if it hadn't been him, there would have been somebody else because he didn't do it by himself. At least that's how I envision it. What do you think, Donnie? I don't know. It's hard to say. We uh, What Rachel just said, I feel like, is the most positive and also realistic thing is that he had a team around him. Because I would like to think that we would still get these acts passed anyway. The momentum was going that way. It just was who was going to be the, the figureheads of these efforts. Um, so I feel like his team around him, somebody else would have stepped up. Maybe, uh, I don't know. There would have been, been another person in his place. Donnie, so. how would you have looked at MLK Jr. if he had a white woman on his arm. Donnie, did we lose let's, you? Let's get to the big deal of the day. <laughs> oh, Donnie! We're at 23 minutes in. Donnie tapped out. It's, it's time. <laughs> wow. Mm. The big deal of the day is no fun. War. In the Middle East. And it will only get worse from the time that you've heard my voice.
Okay, uh, Israel's military ordered a complete siege of the Gaza Strip on Monday, um, halting injury, entry of food, supplies, uh, and fuel to 2.3 million people. Um, that is a Hamas-ruled territory. Uh, Hamas was elected uh, as the ruling party in Gaza in, I think, 2007. Hamas is recognized by the European Union, the United States, and others as a terrorist organization. They launched a surprise attack from Gaza, uh, and it was horrific. Um, 600 people killed. Some people at a music festival killed. Uh, civilians killed. Noncombatants killed. Uh, people taken hostage. A lot of the people that are taken hostage uh, were drugged back into Gaza and are now being held there. It remains to be seen whether or not um, there'll be a, a prisoner exchange there because some of what Hamas has been asking for is a prisoner exchange. There are people that are being held and jailed in Israel that they would want uh, released and, or whether or not uh, Israeli intelligence knows enough about where these people are being held to go in to Gaza and rescue them. There have been videos that have come out of families that have been taken captive that have been circulating on the internet. Um, this is certainly a situation that uh, seems to be more deadly and more dire than even any of the skirmishes or, or full-on conflicts that have erupted in this region uh, recently. As now the rhetoric that you are hearing is Gaza needs to be wiped out. Hamas needs to be completely destroyed. And of course, when that rhetoric gets uh, uh, sort of ratcheted up, there are going to be innocent lives that are lost. There have already mm -hmm. been innocent lives lost on both sides of this. Um, rebukes um, have come in swiftly from almost all corners of the globe, including our own government. Joe Biden talked a little bit about uh, the U.S. response to everything. Here's the president. You know, when I spoke with Prime Minister Netanyahu this morning, I told him the United States stands with the people of Israel in the face of these terrorist assaults. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people, full stop. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. And my administration's support for Israel's security is rock solid and unwavering. Okay, so um, actually I was wrong. The death toll in Israel from the Hamas attacks uh, has passed 700 and war has formally been declared here. Rachel, your thoughts? Ooh, that's a loaded thing to say. Your thoughts is something that I've been thinking about since the moment that this happened. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about. And a lot of people, you know, I feel like have said this because I don't want to opine too much on it because it is a very complex issue. I think what has been, you know, tough for me is social media. Um, you, a lot of people are posting on social media. A lot of people have their opinions. Um, you know, on either side or even right down the middle. And people seem to be a coming at them for, you know, either picking a side or even for going right down the the middle. I've seen people say you're both siding it. It's giving very fine people on both sides. Um, and I think what's what's difficult is that social media is trying to simplify something that is so complex and they are asking you to pick a side. And I think you have to make space for the injustices that are happening. We have to talk about the innocent lives that are being affected. We have to talk about the, the innocent 
people who are caught in the middle of this war, this struggle, and not just today, but for decades, this has been happening too. And I think this is one of those things where, you know, obviously I'm re- reiterating what you said about, you know, what the what the Hamas did was wrong and they condemned this attack, obviously. And it's one of those things where the means do not justify the ends. So it can't be one of those things where you say, well, this happened, so this happened, and it makes this thing okay. No, it was an attack against innocent civilians. And now people, Palestinians, innocent Palestinians are dying. Innocent Israelis are dying. And it's just a horrible, horrible thing that we're watching. And it's putting people against people. And it's, you know, it's, it's just awful. It's just awful what's happening. And I'm, 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 I'm choosing, I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but you know, I guess the the main thing is that I condemn any type of terrorist attack because it can't justify, you know, like the means can't justify the ends. I'm, 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 I'm really struggling I get it. I get it. on so, what to say. So, uh, in, we'll have someone on to discuss this with us in deeper detail on Thursday, obviously a lot of people who are in that region and covering the story um, have their hands full right now. So you guys should understand that. A couple of things here. Number one, um, you know, there are people here who are doing reporting right now, reporting to me that is uh, incredibly useful in understanding sort of the machinations that exist in that region. And I want to shout out Channel 4 over on the BBC if you guys are really interested um, in some coverage that you have spokespeople from Hamas and then IDF like generals that are talking in the same segment. And so you kind of see the schism for what it is, right? And they're discussing it, not necessarily to both sides the issue, but to give people who are interested in understanding what's going on there a deeper penetration of knowledge on just how something gets to this point, okay? And I think that's, the perspective that I can appreciate. It's not necessarily about both sides in an attack that's as horrific and disgusting as the one that happened Friday was. It's not about that. It's about understanding contextually how something gets to that point. In that particular situation, what you really want to hear is how things got this bad. Um, Not necessarily a value judgment that needs to be made. Because right. there's 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 no in between on the attack, but you want to know how things got to this point. And to be honest with you, that's useful knowledge for Americans. It's useful knowledge for Americans to be able to understand our place in this, uh, in terms of you know our relationship with Israel. It's useful knowledge for Americans to understand what solidarity with any people actually means, um, and just not even from a geopolitical standpoint, but from a, a standpoint of understanding what the struggle looks like uh, so that you can be informed on it and, I, and, and you can kind of get it, you know? I agree. Oh, sorry. And so, and so, and so to me, um, when I look at what's happening, I see what I, I see happening there, what happens, what's happening all over the world right now, which is the failure of governments to actually protect their people. This okay. happened in a couple of different ways to me. Number one, obviously, this attack was aided by Hezbollah. And, um, you know, Hezbollah is a Lebanese terror organization that is uh, directly, like, entrenched in Iran and and we, in Iran, should I say. This attack was so coordinated and pulled off in such a manner 
that um, it, it Hamas, it almost stretches the capability of Hamas. Um, and so now we know that Hezbollah is standing in lockstep with that, with, with, with Hamas uh, and, and aiding them in that. And so since we know that, uh, the question is, is this an, a, a proxy attack from Iran? And if it's a proxy attack from Iran, then that's how you have the, the, the opportunity uh, for this to completely destabilize the region in a really, really grand way. Um, because the capability that Israel has to inflict pain upon Gaza, uh, I mean, if they want to do that, Gaza can't fight back. They're completely outgunned. Um, so if Israel wants to decimate Gaza, uh, and level everyone and wipe it off the face of the map. They could, um, and there are some there are some uh, 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 surrounding Netanyahu and that want to do that. Um, but also, there's a, a different side of this, and the different side is that, you know, Hamas, in and of itself, is not acting, in my opinion. Uh, on behalf of the Palestinian people. It's acting on behalf of its stated goal, which is to eradicate Israel. That's, that's Hamas's stated goal. And I don't think it's about the Palestinian people. I do think that there are uh, elected officials and world governments everywhere that use the plight of their people in order to achieve their political gains. And I think that's what Hamas is doing. I think aided by Hezbollah, I think that it's doing that. That doesn't mean that the plight of the Palestinian people isn't real. Right. It is real. They're living in an open-air prison where they are right now. They're living in an apartheid state in Israel right now. That is fact, right? Uh, and they're cut off from a lot of the things that you would say that free people would be able to have. Now, they elected Hamas in Gaza. so. Other people would say, well, if you elect these people to represent you, then you are then responsible for their actions that they would then take on your behalf. I get that too. What I'm saying to everyone is that the question still remains, in my opinion, and the question is, who cares about the lives of the people? Like, who cares about the daily lives of people and how they're living. Who cares about whether or not people can drink and move and eat and worship? Who cares about how people are getting to their lives? Who cares about that? If you care about that to me and you're Bibi Netanyahu, then you wouldn't become increasingly extreme and move right. your government <laughs> to the right and increasingly become more hostile with the way that the government of Israel is going. You wouldn't do that because that, to me, stokes the flames of this conflicts like this, right? Um, people are killed in Gaza all the time. There are attacks on them all the time. Settlers move in. They take territory. People stand up. They're killed. Who cares about them? Who cares about the innocent Israelis that were at that, that festival? Who cares about the, 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 the families that have been taken, right, that are now uh, uh, hostages? Who cares about them? If you care about them, it'll be about more than nationalism. It'll, about, mm -hmm. it'll be about more than victory. It'll be about more than winning. 
What it would be about are solutions, compromise, and, and pragmatism. That's what it would be about to me. Now, I am, not, I am not an expert in the region, and I don't claim to be. But what I do know is that there is a belief that exists here in America and particularly in the Western world that this is a thousands-year-old intractable, unsolvable problem that goes back to the day that Jesus was born and to the prophet Muhammad and all of that stuff. You guys, that's just not true. This is a, this, this is a cultural issue, sure, but this is a geopolitical schism that was born really in the last hundred years. Really in the last hundred years, right? And everything else that's that's put over this, that's that's that 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 people use to frame this, has to do with Judeo-Christian beliefs in the end times, and uh, the war of the Armageddon. It has to do with the way people would spin things in order to stop people from looking at this in a sanitized way, um, and with a lot of very real fear and trauma that the Jews have worldwide about their safety. They've just simply never been safe wherever they have gone. That is a fact. They've never been safe wherever they have gone. That's the truth. You cannot deny that. So when you have a homeland, it's there, it's for you. People have put it there. You've come back, you've left places, you've fled the Holocaust, you've gone back there. If you have the means to defend yourself, a lot of times... You're not trying to hear the other side of things. You're not trying to make peace in a world that's never shown you any peace. All of these things are true, but we do not in any way make the situation by attempting to get less smart about it. We don't. Like, we simply don't. And we also don't make the situation better by not paying attention to what's right in front of our faces. Um, that's all I'm going to have to say until somebody else gets on here because there are a lot of details that... that um that need to be hammered out. There's a lot of stuff going on there that, uh, that we have direct questions about. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of them for me, uh, have to do directly with how the U S and neighboring nations are going to get involved here. They have been movement. There have been talk that Israel was going to make peace with some, with Saudi Arabia. With yeah, Saudi it was Arabia. like a, th- it was like a three part negotiation with the U S and Israel and Saudi Arabia. And there are reports that, um, Iran didn't want that to happen. And like, you know, there's there's a lot of speculation as to how what, again, decades of this, like you talked about, but a lot of speculation as to like what particularly set this attack off. And even also like it had been rumored and talked about that there was going to be some type of attack in 2023. And even the timing of this compared to the the war in 1973. So it's also around the same time, 50 years later. I, I, I'm with you. I have a lot of direct questions. And I would also say, um, what very well said, everything that you said, I'm not going to add to it because I don't want to opine too much on it, but I will just add to what I said at the top about social media and trying to simplify it. The best thing that you can do is if, you know, you're scared to post something or you don't understand it or you have questions, watch the things that Van was saying. Vox, to me, Vox.com has 
over the years have had great breakdowns and answering questions and understanding and simplifying some of the history over the last decades, some of the issues that are happening within the Israeli government, also the Hamas and how that started and how they eventually took over Gaza. There's so much information there that can help you understand it, not necessarily to form an opinion on it, but just to understand what's happening and why this conflict has been going on for long as, as long as it has and what resolutions could possibly come about if you know it it's breaking it down so please do the research read about it watch it listen to it whatever you can just to be just for a better understanding but just so people know over 700 dead 260 people killed at a music festival uh hostages taken into Gaza 400 Palestinians have been killed they are now going to have to move around. If they can't move around um, without medical care, without power, without water, without fuel. Palestinians. Uh, Palestinians. Because it's been cut off. Yeah. Most of them have been moved into shelters because they understand that it's coming. The barrage. Um, and there are going to be civilians killed. There are going to be non-combatants killed. It's what happens whenever there's a war. Uh, we don't know who we'll have. We don't know who we'll have on yet, but we will have somebody on to discuss this in greater detail. Um, now, look, uh, Doja Cat. I have a theory here. Please share. Please, please add, make me understand what is happening in this particular situation and Doja Cat in general. So I, have a, I, have a, I have a theory here with Doja Cat. Okay. Uh, Doja Cat, is part South African. She's part Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, she was wearing a T-shirt with a guy named Sam Hyde on it, who apparently is like an alt-right neo-Nazi comedian guy. You ever heard of Sam Hyde before? Not till today. I bet Ashley knows who he is. Ashley, you like Sam Hyde, right? I do not like Sam Hyde. You're a big fan. I've heard of him. I've, yeah, I've heard you're, of him. I've... You heard about him before this? Yeah. So yes, you want to see am. what I'm talking about? <laughs> you, you knew who to call on. You knew who to call on. Because I could tell Ashley. Ashley's quirky. Quirky? What is that? You're that does qu- not Ashley. equate to knowing some neo-Nazi comedian. <laughs> this guy is, to me, steeped in the land of quirk. Because you get, because look, there's a quirkiness. Like 4chan is all of that stuff. Like 4chan, all of these message boards where people like, they talk all this weird shit and they use cartoons to, to mean stuff and they got all of these different things. It's, it's the quirk. All right, I'll ask Ashley this, since I was right and you guys still don't want to talk about it. How did you hear about this guy? Uh, he was going to fight a YouTuber and, or he was going to train him. They like do weird YouTube fights, I guess. And he got in trouble for saying neo-Nazi jokes. Okay. Now, Ashley... Ashley knows a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, Ashley... Yeah. Okay. Where did you hear about all of this? How did you hear about all of this? I watched too many YouTube commentary channels about it. Lots of videos. When? When? Uh, Yeah. Probably last year. Nigga, you you was deep in the quirk, dog. You, like, you, like, Ashley, yeah. you've been on this nigga. 
You been you been <laughs> knowing who this guy is. Yeah. And see? I know. See him. what I'm saying? I see? know this guy. Because, because you probably watch the YouTube channel Quirk Fest, where they talk about the different happenings in Quirk. And then you heard about it. See? Now think about it. Now you're getting in my face, Rachel. But how could it be? This is what I don't get. I tell Kaliga this. How could it be argued that I'm not right? There's no argument to the fact that I'm not right right now. That Ashley's quirky? For sure. I'm not denying that. Okay. Ashley, then explain. You explain what Doja Cat's doing. Yeah, Ashley, you give. You, you, you Ashley segment right here. Ashley, tell us, tell us what you <laughs> thought when you saw Doja Cat wearing this shirt. Since you well, know who he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from what I've seen is that Doja Cat has been doing this like campaign against herself. She doesn't want people to like her her music. She doesn't want her fans to be a part of her thing. So she's been doing lots of stuff to kind of make herself more controversial. Um, and so she is really in deep in the quote unquote quirky internet uh, alt-right stuff. I mean, she was, there's, there's some evidence that she was on some really strange uh websites giving like feet pics to racist people and i don't know she just is she likes to be shocking so this is her being shocking Hmm. so here's my question if she wants to i don't know provoke people or be shocking or get her fans to turn against her why not just go away and then why would you then repost this picture of her in the t-shirt with this guy on it um, why would you then repost that picture to your Instagram and then cut out the T-shirt? I, I'm not understanding. So I think it's interesting what's happening right now with both Doja Cat and Drake. Oh. For different reasons. Okay. I'm ready. Um, The heel turns here are interesting. social media is evolving mm-hmm. and it's evolving from a place to where everyone shows you how much they love you to a place where everyone shows you how much you mean right the clout era changed to social media and i think both drake and doja cat their recent heel turns have more to do with just trying to figure out how much people actually care about what it is that they're doing. Now, I'll put Drake in a, I'll put Doja Cat in a different category real quick. I think Drake is out there and he's been pretty beloved for a very, very long time. And after you're beloved for a long time, it's easy to be liked. It's easy for people to like you, right? It's easy for them to like you. It's hard to hate Drake. It's hard to hate him for a lot of people. I mean, you could, be, be kind of agnostic on him, a little bit ambivalent on him, but he's, he's a good actor, all of that stuff. It's hard to hate him. And after a while, just being easily accessible and, and likable and just you put out a song and people don't love, love, love the song, but they don't hate, hate, hate the song. It's just like a situation to you where like, all right, well, do people actually care if I'm just kind of there? And so you try to draw emotion out of them. And since you're not going to do it with the actual product that you're putting out, you do it with doing other things to incite them. And that's a thing, the Trumpism of the internet, the Sakashi 6 ine of the internet, 
all of this. Well, I'm going to get emotions out of you, even if those emotions are super negative. So if you think I'm the nice guy who loves women, and that's very easy for women to, 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 to dig and get into, well, let me fucking hate on some women and say some bad stuff and do all of this stuff and see if I can turn that around and flip that emotion into something that makes you, makes me really consequential. You know, Drake made nice for what? You know, he made Marvin's room. These are female empowerment anthems. All right. And then he, he turns around and he goes, all right, well now it's, it's good at women. And now I try to make those same women really care. They just keep saying the name over and over and over and over and over again, over and over again. With Doja Cat, there was an uncomfortability about who she was, in my opinion. An uncomfortability about who she was. Right. I don't know. I don't think Doja Cat was comfortable with being the light-skinned, big-booty black girl who could really rap. She don't want to be that. She doesn't. She doesn't want to be that, who could really rap and sing. At first, she came out, and it was, I'm a cow, moo, 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 and she was on that avant-garde kind of thing. And then people started looking at Doja Cat and going, God damn, she fine as hell, and she is really talented. And there was an era of normalcy that kind of creeped in. To whether she became was where she came, she became a normal, beautiful, thick, black lady star. She was doing the whole thing, making songs about how big her butt is and doing all of that stuff, like doing it in the way that a lot of the other girls are doing it. And I don't think she wanted that. I think she wants the quirk. She's not, I, I think, A, she's probably uncomfortable with aspects of her blackness. I think she's also uncomfortable. Absolutely with aspects of being safe. I think neither one of them really want to be safe. She's uncomfortable with aspects of being safe. So she was like, all right, cool. You guys already said that I was like a fucking neo-Nazi. So I'm going to be, I'm going to give you some demon stuff, something that the black community certainly, certainly by and large doesn't really fuck with. And I'm going to put the nigga Sam Hyde on the shirt. And I'm, a I'm also going to look directly at my fans and be like, yo, I'm not your fucking friend. So I'm going to pare it back down to where I have some emotional control of the audience that is looking at me. Interesting. Because, because to me, all of these people, it's like I, one time Takashi 69 went on a, uh, he did an Instagram live. And when he did the Instagram live, it was 2 million fucking people on there. It was 2 million people on the live. He had 2 million people on the Instagram live. And I'm thinking, God damn, man. Say what you want about him. But who else could get 2 million people to go live with them? Could Drake get 2 million? I was thinking to myself, even then, I'm like, could Drake get 2 million people to go live with him? Could Hove get 2 million people to go live with him? If Beyonce and Rihanna right now did a live, it would probably have more than 2 million people, right? For sure. But if either one of them went live alone, would they get two million people on the live? Probably. I but don't I get know. your point. But I get your you, point. And so for him, a guy who is not even in that fucking realm of cultural relevance, it's this thing. And a lot of and a, and a lot of people like Drake and Doja Cat to me, who are both incredible musicians, they feel like if they don't have that thing that internet sticky type of thing, then they're not who, are, who they think they are. And so they just, they just doing shit. I don't know if I agree with that with Drake, but I definitely, it definitely makes sense with Doja Cat. And so my, I'm wondering, 
do you think that she'll accomplish that by the things that she's doing? Because she's supposed to be going on tour soon or if she's not already. I'm not sure. Um, do you think that it will hurt her fan base? Do you think that it, she will grow in her fan base and, and then attract maybe some of the people who would be on 4chan or some of this other stuff? Do, does it hurt her in any way? What if Ronald McDonald's did a commercial where Ronald McDonald came out and he sat down in a McDonald's and he was like, hey, yo, I'm going to be honest with y'all. We don't really want y'all to have fun coming in here. Okay, I get it's your It's me, Ronald McDonald, the McDonald's <laughs> nigga. And I'm telling y'all straight up, we don't give a fuck. We selling burgers. If you like the burgers, cool. If you don't like them, <laughs> nigga, we going to be okay. All right, we can serve a billion of these motherfuckers. We didn't have y'all hooks since y'all was three. It's me, Ronald McDonald. I'm out. It's going to be some people that go, I'm not coming to McDonald's no more. And obviously, you can't care about the people that are not coming to McDonald's anymore after you done told the people, we don't give a fuck whether or not you have fun. We don't like you. We just sell you burgers. I think that was actually liberating for her. I think she feels liberated by this. And I think that anything that's going on um, is something that she is ready for. Now, maybe it lasts a little too long or maybe she doesn't like it as much as, uh, as she thinks that she does. Or maybe she's really having some sort of a breakdown. Who knows? But the reality is putting a neo-Nazi on your shirt is such a direct and obvious thing that it's like, okay, well, I don't really give a shit if these niggas fuck with me. I'm putting a quirk Nazi on my shirt. You know? It's like a... It, it, and it, it, it's just... It's interesting. I see all of these people doing stuff because they want to trigger people emotionally. They want people to feel something. And it's just not about the music anymore or the art anymore. That's or true. None, none of that stuff. It's just, let me do something to incite you. And that's what I feel she's doing. Uh, Sam, hi. What's your... so? Ashley, real quick, Sam, hi. Yeah. Do you, do you dig him? No, not at all. Who's the, Ashley, she, who's the most problematic person that you like? Seriously. The most problem, probably, Ashley. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a trap. It who's is. The most, who's the most problematic person that you like? Be honest. Us, you know Everybody what? has the answer. Everybody has the answer. I think you should answer first. No, me. wrong. You have to there answer. There you first. go. There you go. Who's the most problematic person that you like? <sighs> um, probably Lana Del Rey. Now, what's right? problematic about her? What does she do? Um, she's like, <laughs> it's like a whole thing. You'll have to, you'll have to like watch a thing on it because it's there's a whole thing with her. Just she's not very relatable. I guess is the best word. She said that in a song that her pussy tastes like Pepsi Cola. <laughs> I know. Can you dispute it? No, nobody can. Ashley, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what are you? What do you like that? You like that? Record. You like that lyric, don't you? The pussy Pepsi Cola. I like Cola the whole lyric. song. <laughs> what's it? What's that kind? What's the name of that song? The pussy Pepsi Cola song. It's called Cola. That's the, the whole. So the whole song is about her pussy. Tastes like Pepsi Cola. I mean, she says it a lot. She says it a lot, yeah, in the song. Rachel, who's the most problematic person I, that you like? I don't. Michael Jackson. That's my answer. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know. Fine, Michael Jackson. 
Yep. Donnie, what about you? Who's the most problematic person that you fuck with? I was going to say Michael Jackson, too. But oh, whatever, uh, to be Donnie. different, no, I really was. I really was. But to be different, another person who did come up in my brain was Kevin Spacey. Nah, leave that shit in. Fuck that. We don't fuck that. Donnie, what, what do you like about Kevin Spacey, Donnie? Tell us. No, it's he's he's so creepy that like his real life, it feels like he wasn't, I don't know, like just looking at his role in House of Cards, it's like, oh, this is who he was. He is this person. He wasn't acting. And that last season of House of Cards was trash. So bad. And I, it, it was it was honestly missing him in his predatory ways. <gasps> Donnie, 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 Donnie. This is what I'm talking about. Why? Why? This is what happens when you do the podcast in the morning. Look, Ashley's laughing. <laughs> Ashley's laughing. Ashley's into the laugh. She's laughing. You know, I never thought there would come a day where Donnie could possibly upset the Thought Warriors, but I think today might be that day. He today, they, they, they think they, you can no, do no wrong, Donnie. Today might be the day. Uh, some people out there are with me. They like House of Cards, too. They understand. I like House of Cards, Donnie, and I'm not with you on that. Can I say something, though, like, about Kevin Spacey, just real quick? Does it mean anything that Kevin Spacey... Just just, I'm ju- just asking a question, since we're already down the Primrose path. Does it mean anything that he just keeps beating cases? I- I'm just asking. Like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything that he just keeps beating cases. Sure. I mean, it means that he keeps big foul not guilty. In the legal system. That's a, that's all it means. Somebody could say that Michael was beating them too. Beat it. <laughs> uh, United Auto Workers say that they have scored a major concession from GM that will not expand its victory strike. Now, Sean Fain, who is a very compelling leader, he is. He's the leader. Uh, yeah. He's president. He's a very compelling leader. He's president of United Auto Workers. He said Friday that General Motors, Chrysler, um, will avert an expansion of the work stoppages at this time. That suggests to a lot of people that the strikes could be um, nearing an end. They want, uh, the United Auto Workers want a wage hike. 40% wage hike over four years, amounting to 46% compounded, along with cost of living increases, is what's very important. Beefed up retirement benefits, including pensions on par with what auto workers previously received, and a and full pay for a shortened 32-hour work week, which is down from 40. They targeted the Detroit Three, the big three automakers there, and it began on September 15th. Now, Fane says that the union made a decision after a major breakthrough in talks with GM on a key bargaining goal concerning the future of auto jobs mm-hmm. as automakers shift from traditional gas-powered cars to a lineup of EVs. GM agreed to have the workers at its future EV battery plants be covered by the National Labor Agreement, agreement governing other UAW members at GM. Fain said after the UA the UAW threatened an expansion of the strike to a GM plant in Arlington, Texas, that assembles the company's full size full size F SUVs. A lot of stuff going on here in this labor summer. I was just in Detroit, and I was in Detroit. You know, when you're there, the DNA of the auto worker uh, of that city, which at one point was the richest city in the world. Did you know that? No, but I believe it. Yeah, um, the DNA is still there. And you can see 
how that industry built that city into what it is. Um, and when you see people who are a part of that legacy fight uh, against one of the biggest bodies uh, in American capitalism, which is the auto industry. When you see that, when you see them having success, it's very inspiring. Rachel, what do you think? I think it's very inspiring too. And I mean, we've said it a number of times on this podcast when we've, we've talked about strikes across different industries, the power of people coming together and what that unity represents and what they're able to accomplish when they use, when all these people come together as one voice. I mean, when you think about what's happening specifically in with the auto workers, CEOs earned an estimated 300 times more than their workers and reported record or near record profits. This comes in the same year when so many workers are suffering because the way that they're paid isn't reflecting the inflation cost in the United States. And so you're seeing this resurgence of unions come about that haven't been this high since 1965. And it's because of the fact that they the workers feel like they're not sharing in the corporate profits. And there should never be a situation where the CEOs are making 300 times the workers and the workers can barely cover their bills, if cover their bills at all. So I think to see these unions come together and to see that they're multiracial crowds. I mean, it's one of the few places where you see people from all walks of life, all different cultural backgrounds come together to fight for better pay, which is kind of what you saw back in the day as well. I just said, said the statistic of this hasn't, the unions haven't been this, unions haven't been this, um, had this much approval since 1965. Uh, so yeah, I think it's interesting. I also think it's interesting from a, a political perspective, as both Trump, who is leading the Republican race, and Biden have both gone to speak to these uh, United Auto Workers and have completely different stances and how they talk about the future of auto workers and what's to come. And then I think it's also interesting to talk about what uh, the auto workers are demanding right now and protecting the future of their jobs with EVs. So I think that this is all very interesting because it's so much more than just what they're demanding. It's also about the future of these jobs and the political ramifications of it all. Because the the union hasn't backed, they're not going to back Trump, right? But they haven't backed Biden quite yet either, which is probably why he went to the picket lines. Do you think that the corporate Democrat establishment is sincere when they say that they are pro-union? Well, I mean, Manchin voted for a key provision to be out of the infrastructure bill, which would have benefited unions, but instead benefited employers. So if, I, if I'm speaking to just what he did, then that answer is no. So, you know, Biden did go there and he showed solidarity with, uh, with the, the UAW workers. and mm-hmm. with the auto workers. And that's very important. It's very important. And the Democrats have the left itself. Let me not say the Democrats. The left itself is typically the party that um, is pro-solidarity, pro-union, you know. And it's very difficult to overestimate the amount of uh, influence of impact that unions have made on American life. A lot mm-hmm. of the things that you guys are enjoying right now, eight-hour workday, stuff like that. 
Unions. Unions came through and did that stuff, right? Child labor laws, things of this nature. The unions, all of this kind of stuff happens for people saying, hey, this stuff is wrong. We're going to collectively bargain, all right? When the, the, the heroes of the Gilded Age, all of your men who made America type of guys were working people in steel mills all the time and they didn't have any 16, 17 hour days and blah, 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 blah. Unions, unions, a lot of the stuff that you have, union, unionizing. So it's the, it's the, um, in the lifeblood of the American workforce. All right. But still though, the corporatization politics over the last 30 to 40 years has eroded what I believe to be true support for unions. Because it's very difficult to be pro-industry and pro-worker. You can't be pro-boss and pro-employee. Now, I happen to believe that what's good for the, for the employee is good for the boss and what's good for the employee is good for America. But, you know, if the boss is funding your campaigns, donating to your PACs, doing all that stuff, it's kind of hard to do this. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see Biden and other people coming out there and, and, um, and being seen. But I also wish that things like a nationwide minimum wage hike, you know, all different types of things that are pro-worker, um, healthcare reform, pro-worker, all of that stuff w- would really be championed by a lot of these guys who are on the left because it benefits the American working people. So I'm not sure how pro-union um, the Democrats are. And look, this goes back to a conversation that we had just had about uh, about Gavin Newsom. We talk about the fact yeah. that Gavin Newsom is definitely... Hey, I'm pro-union, I'm pro-union, I'm pro-union. But then said he doesn't have the money in the budget or he doesn't have the money, period, to, you know, give unemployment insurance to people who are striking, which would give them an amazing advantage over their employers. So, you know, who knows? Um, um, but we'll, we, 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 this has been a blind spot for us. We'll keep tabs on it. Hopefully we'll have somebody from the union on to kind of talk to us a little bit about it, you know? Well, I know one thing that some of the United Auto Workers have been critical of Biden about is that, you know, you talk about you can't be both pro-employee and pro-employer. Biden is pro-union. You know, he's he's always run on a ticket of, you know, he's for the unions. Scranton Joe comes from all of uh, that. He, he wasn't pro-world. He wasn't pro-railroad strike. But that's but that's what his <laughs> that's what he's but that's what he's run on. Right. Like he's like he's right. a union guy. He's a union guy. But he also is pro-green jobs. And pro and and talks about, you know, green jobs, which are non-union jobs. And, and there are United Auto Workers that say you can't be both because it takes away from what we're trying to accomplish as a union. And then for you to also be promoting these green jobs. So that's an issue, too, of you can't be both. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Um. Look, it's for look. It, it's complicated. Let me tell you why. What I mean by this. I'll just be honest. You know, we're 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 on we're on podcast mics right now. 
And when we're on podcast mics, we're talking about things and the version of the world that we would like to see. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that version of the world doesn't really reflect what people have to actually do to get the best possible outcome from something uh, in the real world. So I don't want to be hypercritical of people whose job it is to to get something and do something and to push something through um, and what rhetoric actually means uh, as opposed to uh, the actual execution of, of policy um, or of a vision or of an agenda for America because it's not easy, right? It's not. It's easy to say, hey, I want single-payer health care. The question is, is that possible? You know, that well, it's certainly not possible if you don't believe that it's possible, right? So what can you get? Um, I want abolition of all prisons and jails. Well, is that possible? It's certainly not possible if you don't believe that it's possible. So the question becomes, what can you get? thing that always gets in the way for me is who you're really working for. We've talked about this on this podcast before. If you're working for the Democratic Party or the American status quo, then the people that walk around every day in this country will always lose. But if you're working for them, they can win even if it's just a little bit. There is such a gulf between losing and winning just a little bit. Like losing is losing, but winning just a little bit means so much. And I think that's hard sometimes for politicians to deliver the little win, Mm -hmm. but it's also hard sometimes for the American public to understand. That's why political literacy, understanding of these concepts is so important because the more knowledge you have in your head, the more you can understand what's actually like a little small win. And then maybe that small win leads to a bigger win. And then maybe you get to a point to where we actually have real change. Because you don't get change until you've had some wins. So I don't know. Um, piggybacking off this. It's a very open, honest question. I didn't even get into this real quick. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody on this podcast right now one question. Would you like to see somebody else running for president in 2024 other than Joe Biden? Perfect world. You don't even have to name somebody. Perfect world. Well, yeah, I couldn't name somebody, which is where I have a hesitation, right? I can't, I can't name somebody. So if I can't name somebody, if I say yes, well, then who? So how can I say yes if I can't back it up with a name? So mm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Mm. Donnie? Yeah, same. Um, it doesn't feel like he is the ideal candidate, but after saying that, I don't have uh an alternative to back uh to who would step in his place. And he also has the track record of having beat Trump before, and it seems like Trump's gonna be the obvious nominee on the on the right. So, yeah, I, it feels like it's it's inevitable and it's the best case scenario. Ashley. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys have hit it on the head. I kind of feel the exact same way. Just. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. You guys hit it on the head. All right. Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess I understand that. I get it. 
<laughs> what's the biggest trepidation that well, not the biggest trepidation? What's the what's the biggest thing that stops everyone on here from being excited about voting for Joe Biden? The president has recently been talking about the fact that maybe his record um, and the messaging surrounding his record and the economy and other things that are going on hasn't been properly communicated by the media. He said that oh. maybe it's the media um, that's not properly communicating the wins here, the small wins that he, that he is getting. And there's been some positive things that the Biden administration has done. For a discussion for us all, are we... Are we disillusioned partly because there were specific things that we were promised in terms of the Justice and Policing Act and voting rights that didn't happen? Are we disillusioned because Biden is not a charismatic speaker and doesn't have the energy or zeal that we see from uh, uh, traditional candidates? Are we disillusioned because the country is so divided? If things are not as bad as they seem, you know, inflation hasn't been conquered. Gas prices are up, but the economy is rebounding. There are other things that are, that are happening. Uh, the CHIPS Act, things like that. If things are as bad as they're seen, why do they seem so bad? <laughs> it's for it's everybody. Not, I want everybody in on this. I don't even know if it's that it seems so bad. It's just, I think we, there used to be an excitement around the election and the process behind it. And you you used to feel, you know, with the with the elections coming up and new candidates and debates, you, there was this, I don't know, this this spirit that surrounded it of you excited that some change could happen and it could be in a benefit towards you or your community. There was there was almost a, a feeling of hope. And maybe this this we've just come down since what we felt with the election of Barack Obama. Maybe that was the peak and everything has just come down since then. But I feel like that is lost. I feel like. You didn't feel that comes, euphoria in 2020, though. I didn't feel with Biden. Yeah. Well, I did post a video where we I was dancing. Celebrated in where the I was dancing. But think about what we were celebrating. It was the end of Trump. Not it's the, still there. Not the, but 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 not the excitement of Biden. And that's and that's the difference, which is why I think come this 2024 election, we feel this way. It's not that things are so bad. It's that things are blah. There's no there's you, I feel nothing. And the excitement that we felt with Biden wasn't because we were thrilled for Biden. It was that Trump was gone. Mm. And to repeat that again for 2024 just feels bad. I want to be excited about the person who I'm going to call the president of our country, not feel like, well, this is the best we can do, mm-hmm. which is kind of how it feels like, well, who else is it going to be? Uh, That's at Donnie, least my opinion. I feel like the Supreme Court plays a factor in the like general mood uh, and state of things. Us, like like mm-hmm. the, that dampening of that hope that you're talking about with us just seeing like on a, a monthly basis rights that we've grown up being like established as just given being taken away or like su- like extremely reduced has that excitement that we felt after Biden beat Trump in 2020 has like dampened down and it just feels like there is hopelessness because I think the range of power of the president is is not as expansive as the average voter would think and 
you just you see that there's like all these different factors that in government that help things and agendas move forward. And the president only has so much power. Well, the president actually affects the power of the Supreme Court as well. Like it's there's just so many layers to it. It's not as simple as who we're voting for in 2024 on that the top of the ballot. Um, so it, it just, I, I don't know. I feel like the Supreme Court, the most recent things with affirmative action and going back to Roe versus Wade getting overturned, like just affects the the general dourness that we're feeling. That's a good point, Donnie, because we're still feeling the Trump effect, even though he's not in office. We see it in Congress. We see it on the far right in the extremists. We see it in uh, the way that communities have been attacked and the way that rights have been attacked. And even in the forms of government, like you said, or not government, but just like power with the Supreme Court. That's so true. And I would like to see somebody who uh, who's going to run for president that's going to specifically dedicate their platform to combating the Trump effect. See, here's my thing. Um, and Donnie's right. Oh, I want to get Ashley on this real quick. Ashley, what are your thoughts? No, yeah, you guys are totally right. I, I definitely feel like with Biden, no one was particularly like excited that he was running or for anything. He was definitely a option against the worst option. So he never was somebody who we were all excited to be president. So um, yeah, he's. I don't really see anyone who's or heard anyone say that, oh, we would love Joe Biden to be president. I hear more of who we don't want to be president than who we do want to be president. A couple of things that interest me about particularly what Donnie said and some of the other stuff that we've said here. Uh, one is that the Supreme Court and their control over American lives has directly to do with a presidential election. So I do sometimes think that there are these details that kind of get lost. Like Trump wins the election, so we lose Roe versus Wade. So the reality is that if you want to control the Supreme Court or have an opportunity to control the Supreme Court, then you need to control the White House because the president is going to appoint the justices that he wants, right? He or she wants, right? So the reality is, to me, if I'm the, doing the messaging here, well, then I say, well, look, if you really hated the Dobbs decision, which I think that the Dobbs decision is one of the reasons why the Republicans are going to struggle in the next couple of election cycles anyway. But if you really hated the Dobbs decision, then what should motivate you to vote in a presidential election um, is the fact that an increasingly activist and right-leaning Supreme Court could actually take away more of your rights, you know? So while, while what Donnie is saying is real, I sometimes think that there are ways to look at it from an, a different way that's just say, hey, we got to do this. Because if not, shit, you get to, six is enough, but you get to the Supreme Court being the way that it is for the next fucking 40 or 50 years, uh, de depending on who you put in there and how young the justices get and who retires. Because, you know, the, the Democrats stay on until they croak out on the job and the Republicans follow the fucking playbook, all right? Um, it, it's true. I'll say, say something else real quick. There's, some, there's another reason why you guys are not excited 
about some of the people who could be president. Now, I got a list of people right here. Gretchen Whitmer from, uh, from Michigan. Uh, Gavin Newsom. Kamala Harris, who's the vice president right now. I'm not sure if you guys know that, but she's, the, she's like right there. And Pete Buttigieg. There's a reason why a lot of people aren't excited for these people. And it's because of the DNC. It's because they are deciding who you should care about being president. And they've been doing this for a while now. So there's a lot to be excited about some of these people. You mean after you got, 2024, are you saying that the DNC should have pushed, should, because like we know that typically if the, per, if the, if your purse party is in office, they don't push another person forward. They give them their eight years. Are you saying we should get away with that tradition and they I'm should be saying, putting up? I'm saying right now, it does. I'm not talking about put like posturing someone to primary fucking Joe Biden. I'm not talking about that. I think Gavin Newsom's doing a good job of getting his own shit out there. You see him popping up on Fox. He's having banter with Sean Hannity and all of that stuff. I'm talking about the fact that there needs to be clear messaging from the party, which it seems like there never is. It seems like the Democrats are always on the back foot, not just about what's going to happen now, but about the future of the party. And this is one of the big things that I have issue with the way Kamala Harris has been uh, managed and negotiated through this first four years is if if we're if 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 she's the future of the party, then make her the future of the party. It's like it. it there was I think Bar- Barack Obama jumped a couple of people. He probably cut in line a little bit. However, you still take the young whippersnapper and give him a prominent stage at the DNC to do his thing and let America fall in love. You know what I mean? So I think there needs to be a reassurance from the Democrats that if you can't be super excited about Joe Biden, then there are people that you can be excited about. And I don't think that that's a threat to the president's power or a threat to the president's administration at all. If you do that, I just think that it has to be done right and you have to trust your constituency. That's all I'm saying. It's an interesting conversation, though. We went off script right there. Rachel, Rachel, you like that? You script. got you got exci- you get excited about the off script. Look at him. I get a, I like off script. You, I get excited about going off script and just talking about stuff. Now that we know that Donnie likes Kevin Spacey and Ashley watches neo Nazi videos, hey, you guys are so problematic. The negotiator is amazing. <laughs> Donnie, he's doubling down. <laughs> just real quick, real quick, just to let you guys know before we go. Uh, it's official. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has decided to run third party. His family dissed the shit out of him. Uh, <laughs> statement on Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s announcement today. The decision of our brother Bobby to run as a third party candidate against Joe Biden is dangerous to our country. Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. Fuck! <laughs> Today's announcement is Deeply saddening for us. We denounce his candidacy shit and believe it to be perilous for our country. That's Rory Kennedy, Kerry Kennedy, Honorable Joseph P. Kennedy II, and Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. Shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wait, here's my question. Have they spoken out against him before when he's made all these, you know, wild comments? Or is it just at this announcement? Because... When he was running before for as a, um, a Democrat, 
they didn't say anything, right? I don't remember. I, I don't I, I didn't think, see. I, don't, I am not aware of it. So I, so, so to, let's just say they didn't. Okay. For, for, for the topic of this conversation, let's say they haven't said anything. The fact that they took it upon themselves to gather together and put out a joint statement. Does that contribute to the fact that him running is a real threat to the Democrats? Do you know that there's data that shows that uh, him running actually threatens Donald Trump a little bit more? Well, yes, I have seen that. But I'm but my question was about the Democrats because that's what they are. But yes, I have seen that as well because there have been a lot of Republicans that were pushing, were supporting him about that some they, of his they, beliefs. They, they might have actually made a mistake because the right media was doing such heavy lifting to right. promote who they thought would be a primary challenger to Joe Biden that they might have actually ingratiated RFK Jr. to some of their people. And so, an extreme extremist, because his views are more on the MAGA side of things. He's well, a conspiracy no, no, no. I mean, theorist. Well, well the, the views that he is asked about are more on the MAGA side of things. Yeah, meaning yes, yes, and yes, there yes, are yes. some ways where he's a conventional Democrat, but he there's there are certain things where he breaks from the party. If we're talking about vaccines or conspiracy theories or s- stuff like that. And those are typically the things that he's asked about yes. when he's on, uh, when he's speaking to somebody, wherever he's talking about them, you know? And so they, they might've shot themselves in the foot a little bit. I don't know. I, I kind of think the RFK story is over. I, I, I'm not very worried about it. I think it was a cool thing for the summer, but I think the story is kind of over. I think the Vivek Ramaswamy story is kind of going away. I think a lot of people are rounding into the reality of what this is going to be. And unless something changes, uh, we know where we're headed. So I think a lot of this stuff is kind of over. But it's interesting to see um, who really he threatens, you know? All right, that's enough. Donnie's got to go. He's got to go to Kevin Spacey uh, watch party right now. Unite, yeah. Kevin <laughs> Spacey, fans unite. Donnie's got to go. Ashley right now is in racial chat rooms showing feet. Um, take your thinking caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, guys.